Hey everyone, this is Bill D'Alessandro and welcome back to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. This one really got me going because it is a huge e-commerce business with eight and a half million dollars of earnings. Uh, so Michael and I dove into the complexities of this one. It has a factory in Cambodia and China, sells through Amazon. They're asking nearly six times EBITDA for it. It's a $50 million deal. Uh, really, really interesting one. A lot of generalizable lessons about buying businesses and separating uh, businesses from their inputs and making sure that they have arms like the relationships there. Uh, I think you guys will really, really enjoy this one if you're at all interested in international manufacturing, uh, e-commerce, or just larger deals. So without further ado, hope you enjoy this episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. This episode is sponsored by Acquisition Lab. Acquisition Lab, created by Walker Diebel, author of Buy Then Build, How to Outsmart the Startup Game, is an accelerator with a highly vetted cohort-based educational and support community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal review forums with Walker, hand-picked vendors for your deal team, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on this path. Our team personally understands how to buy a business and will help navigate all the complexities of the process, as well as provide a trusted framework, tools, and resources to support you from search to close. The Acquisition Lab recently celebrated its 70th business being acquired and well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. The lab is here to stand by your side so you can take the right action at the right time and avoid wasting countless hours trying to go it alone. For more information, check out acquisitionlab.com. Link is in our show notes or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, at chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Bill. It is such a marvelous coincidence. We're both wearing the same clothes as last week. <laughs> you know what? One week we should like switch clothes. Like we should premeditate and I'll be wearing the Dura software shirt, you know, and you'll be wearing the button up plaid shirt next Represent time. Represent Dura software. Yeah. Well, you know, I went to dinner with Dura software last night and I had two glasses of wine, which has made my motivation for today go. <laughs> so I'll be working. It's amazing how that happens, right? Like you turn 30 or 40, I'm probably even worse or 50. Like I just. Like one drink, it, you're done. The worst was there was a guy who's childless there, you know, as part of the business dinner. And after the second glass of wine, it was like parenting, workshopping. I was like, oh, let me tell you about this with parenting. Let me tell you about this with parenting. I even brought out one of my like best bits, which is why parents are happy, even though parenting sucks. Have I ever given you this bit? Mm. No, give me the bit. So give here's the, the reason. Here's the thing, like, like objectively you look at parenting, right? And parenting, everything sucks. It costs you a lot of money. You don't have any freedom anymore. You got to go on vacations when it's the most expensive time of the year. Like your kids clean up a lot of poop, vomit, puke, poop all over you. If they're younger, they, you know, they need your time all the time. If they're older and they're teenagers, they say the meanest stuff to you because they're just learning how to manipulate people. So like objectively, like there is very little that's awesome about parenting. But every parent is like much happier. Like if you look at the stats, parents report, self-report being happier than everybody else. And you have to wonder like, why is that? Like objectively, it doesn't match the facts, right? So the interesting parallel is that if you look at it, what kids do to us is the same thing the Marine Corps does to convince you that the Marine Corps is great during indoctrination and basic training, right? It plays to human psychology and kids brainwash their parents into thinking that they're happier. So let's walk through it. So for example, you go into the Marine Corps and the first thing they do is they give you a person who screams at you unpredictably 
with commands that you don't really understand and you are unintelligible to you. Who else also does that? Babies. What else does yep. the Marine Corps do to you when you go to basic training? They prohibit you and they do not permit you to get a good night's sleep. You go through sleep deprivation. Who else does that to you? Babies. What else happens in the Marine Corps when they want to indoctrinate you? They challenge your boundaries of cleanliness and, and nastiness, right? So you're in there with your toothbrush cleaning up the toilets, right? Happens, what do babies do? They vomit and poop all over you. The first thing you do when you bring home a new baby is you discover that you better be careful because there's a good chance they're going to pee in your face when you're changing that diaper, right? So let's continue yep. on. They make you miserable in all ways, right? <laughs> it keeps going. What else does the, what else does the uh, Marine Corps do to make you feel like you're part of a team and part of a winning thing? They put you through a challenge that you're not sure you're going to make it through, but then you make it through as a team together on the other side and you don't develop a cohesive bond. Who else does that? Children. How many parents have you heard when they have a five-year-old? They're like, I don't know if I could do this for 13 years, 13 more years. I don't think it's going to happen. Yep. So, so that's the yep. idea. Like if you look at it objectively, Parents are not happier. They just think they're happier. And you can see it because they're <laughs> brainwashed because nature has set us up to be brainwashed by children and parenting. And so the truth is you are all miserable. You just don't know it. <laughs> Including you, right, Michael? <laughs> Look, okay, so here's the, here's the part about it, right? So if you're, if, you're, if you're objectively unhappy, but you think you're happy, who really gives a shit? Because you're happy. It doesn't really matter if you're really not happy. It just matters what you think you are because it's a feeling. So who cares? I'm fine with it. Like, yeah, brainwash me all you want. I don't <laughs> I've care. I've been deluded. It's fine. You know, it's, it's fine. It, well, it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of evolutionary biology too, though, that it's very important that you like don't ditch your kids. And, 100%. You know, that's why they look like you. That's why they look like the dad when they yeah. come out. It's so the father doesn't yeah, abandon, exactly. right? Like there's all kinds of evolutionary biology like to make you happy with this. Like all the chemicals, literally everything is stacked to make you enjoy this 100%. chemically. 100%. And I'm, there's one or two more parts of the bit, but that's the that's the whole bit. But it's really true. And yeah, this poor guy at the dinner was like, I'm not sure coming to San Antonio was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever go out drinking with michael this is what you have to look forward to all of our listeners like man it'd be really cool to get a beer with the acquisitions anonymous guys and like getting lectured about parenting wait this sucks i'm not sure how much did i pay to win this auction again <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure san antonio was such a good idea all right so we got a big boy deal today so let's talk about eight million dollars in earnings Ooh, it's a big one so this is from my favorite business broker uh, in the world, uh, the folks at Website Closers, um, you, if you are a longtime listener of the pod, um, the sensationalism in these listings is bananas. And very, very often, uh, I've not signed an NDA on this deal, but very, very often, the, uh, there's a lot more sizzle than steak uh, in deals from this broker. So uh, this is a home betting e-commerce brand. It is the number one seller of betting products on Amazon. It has a $140 AOV, 100% year-over-year growth, so it's doubling, uh, and it's 100% Amazon FBA. That means all orders are done through Amazon. Amazon warehouses all the inventory and ships all your orders for you. It has $48 million in revenue and $8.5 million in EBITDA, and they want $49 million for it. So that is a 5.75x multiple of earnings. They don't say EBITDA or cash flow. They just say earnings. Uh, so this is, this is a chonky boy. So 
Uh, website Closer presents a middle market company in the home betting vertical. There are various product offerings in place to meet all user preferences, but it's historically positioned as a luxury offering. Uh, but they also recently launched a lower price point version of their product. There are two owners of the company. One handles the manufacturing piece of the business and is a prolific inventor with 25 patents. Throughout his career, he has focused on creating high-quality and in-demand products for large retailers uh, like Toys R Us, Target, Walmart. He has 3,500 employees in China and Cambodia. Sounds like an unfair advantage. I sure hope he sticks around after the deal. Uh, the other owner is a serial entrepreneur and a strategic operator of the business. He started his e-commerce career in 2007 as a head of sales at a multi-channel e-commerce software firm and quickly decided to start his own company, taking large-scale manufacturers directly to Amazon. From there, he launched his own Amazon brands and hired multiple virtual assistants to run them. After that, so much success developing and training VAs, he started a virtual assistant company that today serves high-profile e-commerce brands worldwide, assuming, I think, this one. Um, and together, they manage 19 companies and have never raised capital. So, you know, you got to buy a business from uh, uh, any business. And the first thing you ask yourself is like, am I smarter than the guy that currently owns his business, right? <laughs> uh, Michael, do you think you're smarter in this area selling Amazon than this guy? I don't know, man. I think, you know, I, by the way, my hold code course is launching soon. I think I should take a hold code course from this guy. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a bad That's thing. To, insane. It's kind of a bad thing to write in your, uh, in, in your listing. I mean, I think we rarely see something like this where the broker spends the first three paragraph kissing the butts of the seller. And it's like, well, why do I care? Like, that's actually a bad, it's actually a bad thing to do. And, and exactly what you're talking about, which is like, oh, first thing it makes you think of is like, how much is this business dependent upon these two guys being involved in it? And the way they paint it, like these two guys walk on water and scares the crap out of me. What also scares the crap out of me, because anytime I am buying a business from someone, I would like to feel confident that I'm the smartest person in that transaction, <laughs> right? <laughs> do you, do you want to enter a multi-million dollar transaction where you're pretty sure you're the dumbest person in that transaction? Uh, well, that's every transaction, that, but I yeah. don't, <laughs> you know, but like, this is like, I just don't understand why brokers do this. And they're like, you are buying this from the smartest, most savvy dude ever, you know, and he doesn't want this asset. Don't you want it? <laughs> oh, all right. We'll keep going. I, this guy, these guys all sound right. like ballers though. I mean, yeah, like I, I want to know oh, yeah. these guys 3,500 employees in, in China and Cambodia. Like this is a global business. Products for this brand are made in China and Cambodia. Orders are placed every three to four months and payment terms are 30 days after shipment. The business makes use of a 100% stock inventory model. Full containers are shipped directly to Amazon facilities, assuming using Amazon Global Logistics, uh, and they distribute and fulfill orders. The company utilizes a 3PL for filler stock to feed the Amazon DCs when stateside stock is lower. All products are FBA slash prime. Furthermore, management works with Amazon Global Logistics. Yep, for most of its shipping is often quicker and less expensive. The retail giant works with the company to coordinate containers being shipped directly from China to their warehouses in the USA. This is actually really great. Uh, if you sell on Amazon and you are bringing in full container loads, Amazon's program called AGL, Amazon Global Logistics, instead of bringing your container, you importing it, importing it through probably the port of LA if it's coming from China, uh, clearing it into a bonded warehouse or, or your own 3PL, parsing it, if you prep it right, Amazon will bring it directly into their own fulfillment mm -hmm. center. So you save that second step. It saves a ton of cost. And you also get to piggyback on Amazon's ocean freight rates. So if you can do AGL 
it require you have to push a lot of prep to the Asian side because everything has to be already barcoded the right way and packaged the right way. Like it can't require any more touch. But if you can have it come prepped in the container, AGL saves a ton of money. Hmm. I did not know that. So it's cool that they're doing that. Uh, it's it's definitely a way to save money if you're making stuff in China and selling on Amazon. Uh, so currently, sales are exclusively on the Amazon platform, and a favorable supplier terms and insatiable customer demand provide the business with excellent cash flow. Typically, seven to eight million dollars of inventory is kept on hand, ooh, which ensures products are always in stock and supports the current growth rate. The company is not seasonal. However, Q4 is the busiest with holiday spending. There's also a peak in summer because of a surge in camping trips. Okay, maybe that's air mattresses. Um, Both owners spend less than 10 hours per week on this business. One focuses on operations and architects Seller Central, delegates tasks to VAs and performs market research on competitors. The other spends time working his factories on quality and coordinating logistics. Fully trained team of VAs in India runs daily operations and is transferred to the buyer or a buyer can use uh, services of the VA company at cost that the existing owner owns and operates. The business is thriving. Management has no intention of slowing down. They have a lot of intention of selling this business to you for 5.75x EBITDA. Um, firstly, in addition to the premium line, the company is launching a new lower cost product line. Secondly, they want to expand to the UK and Canada, and the owners are interested in staying on in some capacity with the buyer. They plan on acquiring assets with the buyer, such as distressed Amazon brands, and putting them through vigorous programming to make them the top selling products in their categories, just as they have done with this company and multiple other Amazon brands. That's a very weird thing to tack on to the end of a listing. Mm. So, all right, Michael, eight and a half million dollars of betting products on Amazon. What do you yeah, think? It's interesting who they're kind of reaching out to here and interesting that they're doing it through website closers, right? Like, I think if you read into this, I'm like, oh, these guys actually are looking for some sort of partial liquidity, you know, type deal where a growth equity firm might come in or a buyout firm might come in and buy 40 to 60, 80% of the company and give them some sort of package as part of it to continue on and then right off into the sunset. But like people don't do that with website closers, right? It's typically like $500,000 a year, like wedding blogs. And it's just bizarre to me that yeah, like, it's like in website closers. <laughs> like, Yeah, th- I mean, this is a $50 million transaction. You can't get an SBA loan no. for that. No, like you're you're hiring an investment banker. They're putting together a SIM and they're calling like every private equity firm that does this size of deal because they're going to be the best payers. Um, so it's just kind of a bizarre way of going after it. And like, I think part of why we chose it, it's like, oh, this is an oddball deal. <laughs> like, let's take a look at it. But um, $50 million deals don't trade with like four paragraphs of text on website closers. So I have seen deals like this, right? Like the way too big Amazon only mm-hmm. brand that eventually sells to private equity firm. I guarantee you what's going to happen is some lower middle market private equity firm who's never done e-commerce before is going to buy this. They're going to install, the seller is going to piece out. They're going to install some CEO like from the betting industry, right? That has not, knows nothing about Amazon, but knows about betting. And they're going to lose all their money in like 12 months. Uh, And the thing will come back to market with half the revenue and negative EBITDA. I've seen this, this play like five to 10 times. It's I've, I mean, I know a guy, I know a guy here in San Antonio that's in aerospace and like he has made a career out of building companies, selling them and then buying them back at a discount. 
So he'll he'll take these <laughs> pick the stupidest buyer. He'll just take on purpose. He'll take and grow these companies. He'll get them to five or six, ten million dollars in revenue. He'll sell them for two to three times revenue. The next buyer comes along and totally screws it up, and then a year later he's like, they are like, okay, well, like I'll buy it back for one third the price, and there nobody else wants it because the thing's suddenly losing money and shrinking, and uh, he's he he's done that three times. So he has a jet. I don't have a jet. This guy has a jet. So there you go. Smart. So notice the guys who have the jet are the guy that sells the company and then buys it back, not the guy that buys it and owns it in the middle. That's how you get, that's how you lose your jet. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I don't know. I, a lot of those guys are expensing their jet to their funds, um, right? You go raise a $200 middle market fund. Um, you know, they're a, a buy, middle market buyout fund. You know, you're charging 2% a year in management fees plus expenses, you know, that's a lot of cash flow to fly around on net jets if you want to. So maybe you just have to rent a jet if you're the private equity guy. That's true. <laughs> um, so speaking, this is why I think this is going to be a dumpster fire if this sells to private equity. The betting category on Amazon is brutal. It is one of the biggest categories on Amazon. Absolutely massive, 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 huge volumes. Uh, and it is cutthroat competitive. Yeah. There are a ton. I mean, there's no coincidence this stuff is made in China and Cambodia. It's all made in Asia, right? And it's all like all these Asian sellers are coming online in this category in a big way. Black Hat is absolutely rampant, rampant in this category. Um, like I would, I would be confident that this company's listings, like at this volume, you're doing 50 million of sales on Amazon. This list, these companies listings are getting attacked daily yeah. with black hat strategies, you know, putting, you know, cancer causing chemical names in their description, hoping to get their listing suspended one star review bombs. I mean, I, this stuff is like constantly happening. And if you don't have like a crack team of how to fend this off your number one listing that you bought in a year is going to be number 10 because all this stuff is going to aggregate and you're not even going to realize it's happening and you just don't know why you're not ranking anymore. And that's why this uh, owner probably right. is spending hours each day checking in on these listings and make it, I mean, you see that from the other Amazon sellers on Twitter. They're just like, guess what happened to me today? Like somebody, somebody claimed I have cancer causing chemicals in my toys. So brutal. Yeah. The, and then some categories are worse than others. Betting, uh, betting, kitchen gadgets, uh, and human supplements are some of the most wicked categories on Amazon. So, so what do you think they are? Other nineteen companies are that these guys have built. <laughs> like, what else I, are they doing? It would not shock me, by the way. It would not shock me if, like, this is the mattress company, and the other companies are all pe bedding and pillows and sheets. You know, like all that other stuff. And this is the shitty one because it's mattresses mm. and it's bulky and like the freight's a pain in the ass. And they're like, you know we we wanted someone else to have this problem dude i think you have to like that these guys at least are vertically integrated they appear to be like going all the way up to the factory controlling that aspect of it and then controlling the listing side so at least that's a bit more defensible than people that are buying from you know other intermediaries or or factories that are not custom because if they have 3500 employees they have to have cap this has to be captive factories right like they can't Otherwise, you wouldn't have 3,500. I, I think so. Yeah, this impl implies that it's captive factories. 
But this, but what it also implies is like right now it's captive factories, but they're not selling you the factory and the 3,500 employees. You're about to become a customer of this, of this factory, right? So all that tight integration is going away. There was a trend, by the way, in the fireworks business, which is kind of similar, where people started running this scam where they would go to the Americans and say, like, we want to sell you a factory in China. And uh, then you look up and it turns out you can't really own a factory in China. <laughs> so these people would be like, I own it. <laughs> and then the CCP member would show up and be like, you what? <laughs> that happened like- <laughs> That's a nice. That's cute. Yeah, it happened a bunch of times. Total total scams. Total scams. Oh, boy. Um Yikes. Man, this is the scariest listing I've ever, I've ever seen. It seems like a great way to lose a lot of money really fast. Um, why didn't, yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess they had to have been approached by Thrasio and all the, the Amazon roll-up folks, because this seems like a Thrasio, perfect Thrasio thing. That's why they hired website closers. They want to sell this to an aggregator. Yeah. But those are, aren't those guys all dying now? That's what I've read is they're all... It's a tough, it's been a tough time. Yes. That whole industry has raised a shitload of money and then they bought companies at a ridiculous pace, uh, in 2020 and 2021, most of those companies source from Asia. And then in 2021, all of the Asian supply chains broke. So you had these companies that had, that, you know, laid out hundreds of millions of dollars of capital, which is about 80% debt capital. They had about a hundred, you know, some of these aggregators have bought hundreds of brands. So they had maybe a hundred parallel subscale Asian supply chains that all broke at the same time. And that in summary is what's going on in the Amazon aggregator industry right now is the fallout of that. Uh, you know what I do like about this listing is like when you look at people who make a lot of money and become very successful entrepreneurs, like it doesn't ever look like. You know, it doesn't ever look like Lawrence of Arabia, like taking a mad leap at the beginning. It's like they just do it like incremental steps all the time. Like this guy, he started his e-commerce career in 2007 as head of sales at a multi-channel e-commerce software firm. Then he got bored of that and he decided to go start his own company, taking large scale manufacturers directly to Amazon. At no point was that a million dollar bet, right? That was just a small bet. He probably just said, okay, like, you know, flew over to Asia found some orders and then went and put them on Amazon. And then he just kept rinse, wash and repeating it. And then he said, okay, well, I'm going to take that and turn it into my own brands. Just it's incremental stuff here. And then he did the visual virtual assistance thing. And then he's like, oh, people want this. Like I'll sell them to other people. Incremental bets. Like at no point here, mm -hmm. uh, did he do any sort of like, oh, I'm going to do the next Uber. It's all like, oh, okay. Like I'm going to incrementally do this. And I talk about this effectuation way of, of doing like new venture creation. It's exactly this. Like you try things, you do little experiments, you go all in on what works and then you do it a bit more. Um, so I love that. And then I have another point about the listing, but I'll pause there because otherwise this turns into- I mean, hundred percent, right? Like this guy, this guy like hired one VA one time and then like 15 years later, he has 3,200 employees in Cambodia. Like that's how these businesses get built. And you're like, oh, geez, you know, if I hadn't like Googled that one thing that one time and actually took action, I would never be here. You know, it, most most big ventures, like you don't just like have the grandest of all ideas. Like I know I'm going to fly to Cambodia, hire 3,200 Cambodians to all make mattresses, right? And then we're going to see like, th that's not how it works. It's incremental. Yeah, 100%. And then I love this, the second thing here, which is I think a lesson to learn about partnering. Like he met his co-founder in 2015 and they quickly realized that their skills and interests complemented each other. One was really good at sourcing and managing factories and the other one was really good at the, the sales side, right? The other end and they partnered and, and complemented those two things together. And 
and they grew really quickly. I mean, they just rode the Amazon platform like crazy, you know, and, and again, you think about this, they started this business in 2017, five years later, five years later, they're doing 8 million a year in earnings and 49 million in revenue. Like that's a crazy rocket ship, crazy rocket ship. You see it, you see it on the internet, on Amazon, especially. The scale of the internet is just crazy, just crazy. It really um, is. Hard, hard to tap really into, is. but when you do, man, it just happens. So, um, well, what else do we want to talk about on this one? I, I'm still confused by how the summertime is like a big sales thing for them. Like in camping, do people, is this like really cheap betting that people buy for They camping? must be selling camping mattresses or, or air mattresses or something or toppers or something. There's got to be something. Yeah. Some angle to it. Um, the, the thing about this listing overall that I take away is I just look at this and I go too complicated, like too mm -hmm. intertwined with the seller's other businesses. It's intertwined with the seller's factory. And like one of the partners owns the factory, like they're getting preferential treatment. They're flying to Cambodia all the time. One guy probably lives there. Like there's no way you're going to be able to extricate this from the factory side. And the factory is always going to own you because without the factory, you're screwed. Right. Like you have no way to replace that factory. And it's fine because he owns the factory. So he's not going to screw himself. Uh, plus, it's definitely intertwined on the virtual assistant side with the other owner's virtual assistant business. Like this just does not give me the vibe of a business that is very separable. You know, you buy this and it's, you're going to do a ton of work to tear it out of the seller's respective empires. And even if you do tear it out, you know, you can become a third party customer of this mattress factory in Cambodia, like they own you. You know, and suddenly you're not the same guy. You know, it just, this is, I don't like this because it doesn't already have arm's length relationships with its inputs. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, you, you think about our, our buddy, Michael Patron from, who does exactly this just for power tools uh, on Twitter. And uh, like, I don't know if you know it, but he's, he has an unfair advantage, which is like, he has relationships with some people in China that like, they go to each other's, they like were best men in each other's weddings. Like that's the kind of unfair advantage these folks who develop these relationships over years have. And it's just like a crazy, a crazy thing to try to compete with. Um, and just, and anyway, just talks back to what you're talking about, like scary to do that. And then secondarily, like if you own a business, there's these, there's actually these checklists. I think you've, I'm sure you've seen them, but they're like transferable, transferable value assessments. And it's basically a checklist where you go through and you look at your business and you give it a score that says, how much of this business could I actually, how much of this business is really dependent upon me and how much can I transfer to somebody else? And it's crazy when you look at a business like this, that's doing 8 million a year in profits. And like, they're going to score terrible on that because there's very little they can extract from themselves. But, but the thing about those transferable value things, like you have to start working on them a year, years ahead of time to have a good score. You can't just start doing it when you try to sell the business. Like you have to start premeditating, like how do I extract myself and make this thing a unit that can transfer to a new owner mm -hmm. without me having to work in it and keep it going. And this is definitely one of those. Because it usually involves hiring and training people and getting to arm's length contracts with any relating parties. And it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting also because... Like you look at these guys and how they work and what types of employees they talk about. They only talk about very low level employees, VAs, automated people, that sort of thing. So they've been geniuses around that, but you don't see anything in here about them talking about hiring people who are like higher level knowledge workers, right? And it's kind of a mistake. Like you end up with this business that will only scale to a certain size because it's a hub and spoke management model. You have one person with 
500 systems and 300 employees reporting to the CEO. Um, and I've seen people run businesses like that. And it's fine to do it that. It's just not transferably valuable unless you have like a real management team built into a hierarchy, which would help these guys a lot if they had done that. But they just may not be the type of people that can do it. Not everybody can. It's hard. It's really hard. Cool. All right. Well, this is like the, one of the most interesting ones we've ever done. This is super cool. But I, I love your it's hard comment. Like you compare this to the tent business we looked at last episode. And like, that's super easy. Like they're like, bring tent this day. What size tent do you want? I bring you tent. I take tent away. You send me money. Much, much easier than this. You know, like much, much easier than this. Just the pain in the ass factor is not there for sure. And the risk factor of, you know, like you're spinning 10 plates in this mattress business, right? Anyone could fall apart. I mean, I would guarantee you when you get the sim, this business got annihilated in 2021 with all the supply chain stuff. Like they're shipping mattresses across the Pacific. The container rates went from $4,000 to $30,000. You know, I mean, craziness. Uh, Businesses like this, you have high fixed costs, you have variable demand, you have tenuous relationship with your number one customer who is Amazon. You're not, your Amazon is not your, your partner in this. Amazon is your customer. Uh, and they can cut you off like a, like a light bulb. And, uh, and a business like this can go to lose money very quickly and go from making 8 million a year to losing 3 million a year. And it's, there's not much you can do about it. Cause you just have, you got all those 3,500 mouths to feed in Cambodia and China. Like, what are you going to do with them? Like it's, it's tough. It's tough. And stuff like this is tough to transact mm-hmm. unless you find a dumbass, uh, a dumbass private equity firm with a lot of money. It turns out there's a lot of those. There's a lot fewer of them than it used to be. But <laughs> that was easier in 2020. It's crazy. It's crazy. Cool. All right. This is a great one. And uh, ask for everybody. Or do you want to do the ask this week? What ask would you like to do? All right. I'm going to do the ask. So the ask is if you like this episode, uh, we want you to not only send it to someone you think would like it, Send it to someone who you think would get value out of sponsoring it Uh, because we would really love to book a couple sponsors. Our audience is entirely people who are buying businesses, running businesses, borrowing money, right? Looking for banking relationships. They need accountants, they need lawyers, all those types of things. Uh, If you know anyone in your professional network that would get value out of sponsoring Acquisition Anonymous, please send them our way. We would really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. And we will see you next week.